0: Galatians chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 and verse 2. And if you can, again, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to go ahead and tell you I don't necessarily enjoy teaching over what I'm about to teach on. Uh, there are some things that are finer than others in God's Word to, uh, to preach and to teach about. This is not one of them. So listen to what it says in, in verses 1 and verse 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Anybody ever failed at that? I have. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning in the name of your Son, Jesus. Lord, you've given us the law of love. Lord, that's that's written on our hearts. But Lord, we can judge. We can hurt people. And not help. We can be found with a lot of pride. And so I pray, Lord, as we go through this text, that we'd be able to confess these things, admit these things, and... and And rid them of ourselves. And as we address others, Lord, we must first be able to address our own life. And so, Lord, this is for me, this is for them. That we be made more clean for your work and for your service. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Galatians chapter 6, 1 and 2, I'm going to go ahead and tell you that I have transgressed and I have been the one that has went to a person to correct the transgressor. I've done it in humility and I've also done it in pride. And I promise you this, humility always wins the day. Pride does not. It never does. I confess that right off the bat. As we approach this text, we must approach it with with much humility. And you're going to notice I'm going to be reading more than anything from my notes this morning. And the reason why is because I don't want to mess it up. Y'all know how we can mess things up, right? Well, when we're talking about something as, as critical as restoring someone... We need to be very precise and very purposeful in what we say and what we do. And so I'm going to be reading mostly from my notes, and I hope that you'll bear with me. We've got to approach it with humility. This text deals with correction. How many of you here this morning like to be corrected? Not a hand in the room. You know why? Because it's not fun. Is it? Clay, good to see you. Clay's back there saying, no, it is not fun. It is not. Correction is not fun. It is not fun for the person that is administering that correction, and it is certainly not fun for the person that's receiving that correction. This applies in the church. But also in the home where believers can get really, really silly. And I think in the church we, we understand that. But I think a lot of times we try to, to, to isolate the home as if, as if it's not part of the church. And we just can't do that. When it comes to correcting someone in the home, you have your, your parents there that are to correct the children. But do we do that with humility and gentleness? <laughs> Isaiah says, no. <laughs> so we got to be careful, don't we? we got to be careful. And so we know that Galatians here, he's talking to the church without a doubt, but it also can apply to the home. But this, this applies to the church more, more than anything. And it applies to the key word here being uh, brothers or Believers. Believers. You cannot restore someone that, is not, that has not been restored in the first place. And so a person that is lost cannot be restored except they be restored by or renewed by the Lord Jesus Christ to begin with. So we're dealing with believers, not with unbelievers. And this is something that we have to be clear that, we're talk, that we know what we're talking about here. Because it's talking about those in the church, not just pew warmers. I'm talking about those that are children of God, Simon Peter's, that fell, that fell very quickly. You know who I'm talking about. These are believers, not unbelievers. The only one that can renew, restore, reconcile the unbeliever is Jesus through the work of the Holy Spirit by God the Father calling. That is it. But as believers, on the other hand, the Apostle Paul is going to give us a way in which we can address matters in the church to clear up things. And I praise God for this. I'm terrible at it. I don't like confrontation. I, I just I never have. I avoid it like the plague. Somebody else told me that in here one time. They avoid it like the plague. They don't like it. I understand. Sometimes it has to be practiced. Verse 1 shows us the church exercising correction in love and meekness. We need to know this. I have seen people excommunicated and people churched over a woman cutting their hair. It happened to my mother. I saw it with my eyes. It wasn't very loving. It was not done with humility. And behind that excommunication and that being churched was a lot of pride. Verse 1 tells us to use or to put into practice the fruit of the Spirit that we just left off from in chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is X, Y, and Z. Verse 22, we know what that is. 23 and 24. To put into practice the fruit of the Spirit, leading with love, to address such things that are mentioned in chapter 5, 19 through 21. So what is he telling us? He gave us a list of vices and problems that people encounter in in chapter 5, 19 through 21. And it is a terrible list of things to fall into, right? A terrible list of things. Then he tells us that we as Christians have the fruit of the Spirit. And now he's telling us how to address those that have fallen into those sins that are mentioned in 19 through 21. Verse 1 is tough because it tells us that we must do it. It is a must, right? But the goal, however, with this is to put back in its proper place that one that fell or sinned. Not to excommunicate or to church them. There's a lot of ministers that are quick to church people. I'm not one of them. And I'll tell you the reason why I'm not one of them. Because I am a sinner. I'm a sinner. And when you stop and consider your own heart first, before you consider somebody else's, you'll see that you got a plank there instead of a moat. You'll see that you have a two-by-four hanging out of your eye instead of a speck. I've grown a lot in the last ten years as a minister. Through a lot of failures, through a lot of good, through a lot of bad, I've grown a lot. And excommunication is never the first place that we go to. Never. For one, it's not Scripture. For two, it's just not Christian. The Judaizers were quick to live by the law. And living by the law, they would would excommunicate or they would call out these people's flaws because they were legalistic. They judged people very, very quickly. They were legalistic. And churches today, if not careful, can be very legalistic and can be very judgmental. True or false? True. Listen to me, church. The church's goal when dealing with those that have been overtaken in a fault. The church's goal should always be, always be restoration, reconciliation, and not excommunication. Everybody hear me? We don't excommunicate just to excommunicate. That that is like the last possible thing when you have done everything else and, and just have went and went and went and for, forbeared with these people and, and, and loved and called and, and drawn them and reached out to them and love and gone after them in prayer and fasting and, and done these things, that is the last and absolute last. We see in the text that reconciliation, restoration is what? Is what we are to start with. To sever someone from the church is severe. That is very, very severe and very serious. Remember this. Where there is legalism and judgment, where there is legalism and judgment, you will have excommunications. I promise you that. I've seen it my whole life. You will have excommunications. And also remember this, behind that legalism and behind that judgment, you will most generally find a heart of pride that is executing that legalism and that judgment. Who more than likely are guilty of the very same thing that they're persecuting. The goal is not to beat down our brothers, but to put back in place. The idea here is that of the body, the body of Christ. We have to function as a body. I have seen people hurt, maimed, injured very severely. I have seen joints dislocated. And this is what Paul is speaking about here, to put put back in their proper place because they've been overtaken in a fault. And so here when it comes to the church, our responsibility, the idea is a joint that has popped out and we are to pop that joint back in so they can then function again in the church. This person, this Christian, this child of God, they slipped, they fell, they stumbled and were overtaken by the flesh. By Satan or the world. It's painful for that person. Is it painful to dislocate something? You better believe it is. And it's painful for that person, that's a child of God, that has been overtaken by a serious offense. They've slipped and they've fell. You know what? You want to know why? Because the heart and the flesh still remains evil. We still remain evil while the Lord has given us the Spirit. Those two combat each other. And it's, guys, the walk of a Christian is hard. Have you ever stumbled and have you ever fallen as a child of God? If you're a Christian, you better raise your hand. Okay, so we can all testify that we have all, if we are called and and children of God, that we've all stumbled and we have all fallen. When it comes to restoring such a person that's been overtaken in a fault, the idea Paul is giving us is that of a joint that's been popped out that needs to be put back in its proper place. Now, you go to the doctor, they're going to give you a lot of medicine, and they're going to say, hold on, this is going to hurt. And they're going to get rough with you and put it back in place, but the Scripture does not teach that. Listen to what the Scripture says. We know that it's painful. It's going to be painful for the Christian, but we have to do it a different way. Verse 1, brothers... This is in the ESV, and I'm going to read the King James too, because I think, I think the King James captures this a little bit better. And They, they both mean the same, but I want, I want you to hear this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, so if you read that in the ESV and you don't really study the word caught, you would think, oh, they got caught. And that's not necessarily what it means. It's someone that's been overtaken by a transgression. In other words, someone that's fell susceptible to the wiles of the flesh or or Satan or the world. The King James says this, if any man be overtaken in a fault. In other words, if he has slipped and fell. that's That's what it means. Those that are not and this is, this is who he's talking to. Those that are not habitually living in sin, but a person that has slipped and been caught off guard. And the word here is surprised or overtaken in a transgression. That's what it means. A person who's caught off guard, literally in the Greek. Caught off guard, surprised, overtaken in a transgression. That ever happened to you? Yes. I'll tell you where it happens with us the most as Christians is our mouth. Yes or no? Right? The tongue's a hard one to tame. It is. I know. I've messed up a lot with it. The mouth. We see a situation arise and before long we're shooting things off at the lip that we wish that we wouldn't have said. Right? Well, that's falling. That's slipping. That's being overtaken by the enemy, by the flesh, by the world, whatever it may be. And so there's a whole host of these different things. You see them in 19 through uh, uh, 21. And I want to give you the perfect example. I read it when we opened... But I'm going to go back. You don't have to go there. I'm just going to show you where Simon Peter fell. Simon Peter was a righteous man, was he not? He was a good man, wasn't he? Boy, he was zealous for good works. He, he, he didn't know a whole lot. but He was, a, he was an old fisherman, but he, he, wanted, he loved Jesus and he wanted to serve Jesus. But you know what happened to him? Exactly what Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says. He was overtaken in a fault. He was caught off guard and he fell. Listen to what it says in 18. And I'm just going to give you these verses. 17, 25, and 27. Those were his denials in chapter 18. Listen to what it says in 17. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. He was doing pretty good. And then a little old girl asks him, Hey, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? Well, no, I'm not. What did he do? He lied. He lied. That's one of the Ten Commandments. He lied. He didn't do it just once, but then he did it in 25. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. There's the second time. He was overtaken. He was serving Christ, doing miracles with Christ, understanding the teachings of Christ. He was walking with Him, talking with Him, praying with Him, eating with Him, fasting with Him, doing all of these different things with Jesus. But all of a sudden, he was overtaken in a fault. You see how fast it can come? The apostle warns us, if you think you stand, lest you fall. And we have to be very careful. Then the third time is in verse 27 where it says this, Peter again denied it and at once a rooster crowed. He fell. The minister, the apostle, the disciple, the one who preached on Pentecost... Where 3,000 people were saved. Simon Peter. He was overtaken in a fault, wasn't he? This is, I believe, the true context of what Paul is saying and what he is driving at in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. Those that slip and fall. Those that are overtaken in a fault. And then he's going to tell us next what to do. Does this happen to y'all? It happens to me. I know it happens to Casey and my children. Does it happen to you guys as believers? So we we can all, you know, sympathize with Simon Peter, right? Well, that's good because he's going to call on us to do that here later. When he says, bear one another's burdens. And listen to what it says. So how do we address the believer that has been overtaken in a fault in the church? How do we address them? What do we do? What what does the scripture teach us to do with someone that has been overtaken in the church? Do Do we go to them and publicly bring them before the church and toss the Bible at them? Are we the judge of the universe that we can do that? No. What are we to do? We know that the fruit of the Spirit, the very first one, the greatest of all is love. And so out of that heart of love, we're to first consider who we are before we go anywhere else. How do we address the believer that has been overtaken in a fault in the church? Let's know what it says. Verse 1. You who are spiritual... Those that are walking in the Spirit. I'm not talking about those that are are, are graduates in the Spirit or years advanced in the Spirit. I'm talking about those that are walking in the Spirit. No matter how old. Those that are walking in the Spirit. He does not put an age limit here on that person whether they are an elder or not. He says those that are walking in the Spirit. Those that are spiritual should restore him in a spirit spirit of meekness the ESV renders it gentleness and so I'm going to ask the question if it's for the individual in the church that is spiritual to restore how is that person to do that we're to do it in a spirit of gentleness or meekness so then this begs the question what is meekness let me give you the answer It's gentleness mixed with humility. That's it. Gentleness mixed with humility. Do you know that a prideful person can be gentle? They can be. They can. A prideful person can be gentle. But the Bible here tells us very clearly Be gentle, but also to be humble, lest we also fall. You see that for if anyone in verse 3 thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So this this meekness is comprised of gentleness and humility. And when we talk about humility, it means first examining our own life. Those that correct without first examining their own hearts are subject to fall. And I say subject to fall, I'm saying probably will fall. Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 5, this is something that we know where it talks about judgment. It says, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, then you will see clearly to cast out the speck in your brother's eye. You remember that text? So before correction can take place, the Lord calls us to what? Self-examination. This is not easy. But I'll tell you one thing that it does do, it slows us down. I need that. Because I'll be the first one to fly in with guns blazing. That's just who I am in my nature. That is, that, that is me. And the Lord is slowly but surely working that out of me. But it calls us to stop, slow down, and to self-examine who we are before we go and speak to someone else about what they are. And then that's going to bring in almost always humiliation. When you stop and examine who you are, I'll tell you what it does to me. If I could just stop and my brain is just, it goes so fast, non-stop, and it goes from one subject to another. Casey Merle tells me I need medicine for it. <laughs> but if we could just stop and examine our own life, before we judge somebody else or try to fix someone else's problem, I promise it will bring about humiliation in our hearts. It will humble us. It will abase us. It will bring us low. And when we're in that position, then we're in a position to go and to help somebody else. You see, because that's when the the log has been removed out of our eye. We see clearly then to go and to remove the speck out of someone else's. This is why it is so critically important that when we go to correct someone, it has to be done in love with much consideration. Considering yourself before you consider them. Everybody follow so far? This is what the end of verse 1 tells us. Listen to what it says. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. That's exactly what I've been saying. Keep watch on yourself. The King James renders it this way. Considering thyself, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Let's move on to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. By itself on the surface it might seem if we just read this passage of scripture, bear one another's burdens, if we just read that and didn't apply what came before and what goes after, then we could say, well, that could just mean any burden. Sure. And I I think the Scripture is strong enough to stand by itself where, yeah, we're to help other people and we're to bear burdens with them. If someone's sick or someone's grieving or someone's whatever it may be, we can bear that with them and go and help that person. But it's not until we see what comes before it that we understand what the Apostle Is talking about bearing one another's burdens. How many people understand that love covers a multitude of sins? What does that mean? that love covers a multitude of sins it means that we are looking past the fault of the person that we that we're looking at we're looking past that fault and we're and we're saying lord you have saved us you have called us you have chose us you have wiped us clean i can go and i can love them despite the things that they have done and that's hard Listen to what it says. Martin Luther, the reformer, y'all know who I'm talking about, or most of you, wrote this. The law of Christ is the law of love. Christ gave us no other law than this law of mutual love. A new commandment I give unto you that you love one another. To love means to bear one another's burdens. In this case, it is to exercise the fruit of the Spirit, loving them, praying for them, because love covers a multitude of sins. And this is hard for the child of God to do. But once we examine our heart, and we are abased, and we find that humiliation, then we can go address them, And you can see where love covers a multitude of sins. I tell people all the time, nothing surprises me anymore. Nothing. I don't care what somebody does. I don't care what they've done in the past or what they're doing currently. Nothing surprises me anymore. And I'm learning how to love... Because of what Christ has done for me. How to love those people. Listen to what it says. Correction is a must. The scripture teaches us. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any believers, if they're caught in a transgression, there must be correction. But it must be done in and by the graces that have been given to us by the Holy Spirit. Namely, love and meekness. You see that there in 22 through 25. Now, let's look at an example of this. I've showed you what it's talking about. We've looked at an example of someone being overtaken in a fault. Someone that's been popped out of socket... They've been restored and put back in. I'm going to give you a scriptural example of this. Turn with me to John chapter 21. John chapter 21, and I'm done. Pay careful attention to what's taking place in the text. What happened to Simon Peter is now fixing to be addressed in John chapter 21. Jesus here has a heart-to-heart with Simon Peter at the end of this book. He corrects him in love. He corrects him in gentleness because of the three denials. And then he instructs him and they go their way. I'm going to read this and then I'll be done. Listen to what it says. Verse 4, John 21, 4 through 19. We saw where Peter was overtaken in a fault. And now we see where Jesus is going to come and he is going to correct him. Who is the ultimate example that we have? Jesus is always, you can always say this... Jesus is the answer. He is the ultimate example that we have. And so what better way to view this than where he is going to address the one that denied him in the first place. So let's listen to what it says in John 21 and verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Remember, guys, Peter loved Jesus. He loved him, but he was overtaken in a fault. We love Jesus, don't we? I love him. Have I been overtaken in a fault before? You better believe it. Has the Lord chastised, chastised me for it? Absolutely. And he's fixing to chastise Peter. But watch how he does it. Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that was John, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work. He was naked. He was out there working with a bunch of dudes. He was hot. He was fishing. And so he grabs his, his cloak or whatever it was and he throws it on, threw himself into the sea. And the picture that I get always when I see this, always, always, always is the movie Forrest Gump. When Forrest Gump is on the shrimping boat and Lieutenant Dan is on the dock and he sees him, and the only thing that Forrest can do is say, Lieutenant Dan, and he takes off running and he's waving the whole way as he's going into the drink, as he's going into the ocean. He's waving at his captain. At his lieutenant the whole time. And I think about Simon Peter and as they're in this boat and they are fishing. Peter knows that he has denied the Lord, but he can't help but to rejoice when he sees him because he loves him. But there's a problem that still has to be dealt with. And that problem was that denial that Peter had done. Listen to what it says. He put on his outer garment, and he jumped in. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for there was not they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Does this seem like a does this seem like a, a council where they're fixing to stone somebody? Nope. It doesn't seem like a place where they're fixing to kill somebody for for them being overtaken in a fault. Nope. Jesus has got a fire going. There's fish and there's bread. And you know what Jesus is doing? He's going to feed them. And He's going to love on them. And He's going to instruct them. And pay careful attention to how He does it. Listen to what He says. Bring some of the fish, in verse 10. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore. This was an old man, remember. Full of large fish, 153 of them. So Simon Peter, he was he was gung-ho to do the Lord's work. But remember, he was overtaken in a fault. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Peter denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus is going to correct him, and he's going to do it in love three times. Watch what happens. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter he doesn't call him Peter, he calls him Simon, his old name Simon son of John do you love me more than these? what's he saying? you denied me do you love me more than these? he said to him, yes Lord you know that I love you and he said to them, feed my lambs he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? What is Jesus drawing at here? What's he, what's he driving at? He's getting Peter's attention. Simon's, he's getting Simon's attention. He wants him to know that he denied him three times, but he also wants him to know that there's forgiveness in the eyes of, Of the Savior. Listen to what he says. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to them, Tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He calls him Simon all three times, his old name. Peter's being corrected. Listen to what happens to Peter. Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And then he tells him this, Simon, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, what? Follow me. Was Peter restored? You better believe he was restored. You see how easy it is for us to be overtaken in a fault? Three quick little lies. Needed correction. But Jesus, when he exercised that correction, he exercised it in a spirit of gentleness, meekness, humility. He exercised it in a spirit of love. And we must as well. The point is, Peter was overtaken in a sin, suddenly. And then Christ restored him, gently. We must exercise the same love and meekness to one another as our great example Jesus has shown for us in the scriptures plain and simple so the apostle Paul when he says to restore them go to get them, correct them we have to first examine ourselves lest we also be tempted and then go then go then go in a spirit of love and meekness. And to restore that person, pop them back in place. Bloop! Put them back in their proper place where they belong so that they then can go and glorify the Lord. Let's pray.